0: We are in the book of Leviticus. We're doing uh, a study talking about uh, the book of Leviticus. If you haven't been with us, you think that's kind of weird. I I hate that book. I know a lot of people do. In fact, I wrote a a blog post this week about, because in my 2018 Bible reading schedule, my the way I'm reading through the Bible this year is I'm sitting down and reading a book at a time. um, And so I've been writing a blog post on each kind of some takeaways from each book after I finished reading it. And of course, this book has been on my mind a lot because we've been doing this class and somebody from McDermott read the blog post this week and, and he talked to me after services and I think he was kind of kidding. But he said, uh, he said, Wes, I agree with most of what you say all the time, but I just don't know that I can buy into this whole Leviticus thing. So uh, I, I understand. I hear you. I hear you. Um, it is kind of a different book, but that's kind of the point. Uh, We've been talking about why Leviticus is, is relevant. Um, we've talked, here's some of the things we've talked about. That's the outline. Uh, we'll leave that up there for a second. But, um, we've talked about how it's all about this holy God that we serve. And you remember what we, we said about the word holy? We, we tend to think that holy just means morally good. That, that's not what holy means. God is morally good, obviously. Uh, But holy means different. The word I like is otherly. God is otherly. He is so incredibly, completely, in every way different. Um, And because God is different, he is both good and he is dangerous. Because if someone who is unclean, someone who is impure comes into the presence of this holy God, what happens? They they die, right? And that's why every time God shows up in any of the narratives of the Old Testament, uh when, when God shows up, what what happens? The people are terrified, right? I'm gonna die. I've seen God, I, I this can't end well, right? Because I'm I'm a human being. I'm I am unholy. I am unclean. I am impure and God is holy. And if I come into God's presence then I will die. But God wants us in his presence. He wants to camp out with people. He wants to be in the presence of human beings. And so God has decided that he was going to tabernacle, that he is going to pitch a tent with his people. And that's a pretty amazing thing, isn't it? That God is going to live in this tent with his people. And he has to make this people a holy people to purify them to consecrate them, to make them holy so that they can live in His presence and He can be in their presence. And that's what the book of Leviticus is all about, is about how this holy God is calling a group of people into His presence to live with Him and He with them. And really, that's what the whole Bible is about, isn't it? That's what the gospel is about. In fact, John begins his gospel account that way, doesn't he? That, that the word... The Word of God, and, and if you were in Brother Ian Fair's class this morning, he talked about how the Torah is the Word, and the Word, the Torah, the Word of God, became flesh and dwelt among us, that, that Jesus tabernacled among us. He came to be with us. In Matthew's Gospel account that we've been talking about on Sunday mornings, He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. God wants to be with people. That in and of itself is phenomenal, isn't it? That God wants to be with us. As the psalmist says, who am I that you would take notice of me? Why Why would you want to hang out with us? But God created us to be his image bearers and he wants to be with us. We are the pinnacle of his creation, yet because of our sin, we've caused a separation. And God wants to bridge that gap. And live with us. And that's what Leviticus is all about. That's what the gospel is all about. And so in Leviticus, we read all about these sacrifices. And we talked last time about how the biblical sacrificial system presupposes God's character of grace and mercy, and it presupposes the worshiper's love and faith for God. The this Old Testament sacrificial system does not work if you assume God is a monster that you're trying to appease. And, and it doesn't work if you assume that you can do whatever you want to and go out and just live whatever kind of life you want to and offer a sacrifice to kind of make up for the bad stuff that you did. In fact, we talked last time about how the sacrificial system was specifically for what kinds of sins. You said, "Wait a second, was I didn't think there were different kinds of sins?" Yeah, absolutely. The, the sacrificial system was for unintentional sins, right? Were things that you you did because you're a human being and you're trying to serve this God that you love, but along the way you mess up because you're a human being and you're weak and and you're, you you have failings. And so these this system was there so that this people who loved God and had faith in God could be forgiven. It's it's grace and faith, isn't it? They're saved by grace through faith. It's like we are, but the ultimate sacrifice has come to purify us. But though that sacrificial system was there. Those sacrifices were there for unintentional sins. There, there were no sacrifices, and according to Hebrews chapter 10, there is no sacrifice for intentional sin, right? If we just say, I don't care, I'm going to do whatever I want to, then... As long as we're living with that attitude, that doesn't mean we can't repent and come back, but as long as we're living with that attitude, there is no sacrifice. You can't dwell in the camp of God and have the attitude of, I'm going to do whatever my sinful flesh wants to do and I don't care what God says. You can't live in God's camp and have that kind of what the Bible calls, Numbers calls, high-handed sin. You'll be cut off, right? You'll be cut off from God's people if that's the kind of uh, attitude that you have. But, but if you have the attitude of, I just want to do the will of God, but I mess up sometimes, then, then God said, then I want to make it so that you're forgiven and that you can dwell in my presence. And obviously, the ultimate atoning sacrifice, the one that all of this was just kind of pointing forward to, is Jesus. And Jesus offers himself all of the sin Kept on Christ and Christ offers himself once and for all to take care of all sin that God's people could all be in his camp. And as we walk by faith and say, I love you and I want to do your will and I want to be with you and you want to be with me, as long as we have that type of an attitude, then by grace, through faith, we can be forgiven and purified and justified as if we'd never sinned. So Again, there's so much similarity between what the gospel has to say about atonement and forgiveness and what we read in Leviticus. If you can look past all the blood and guts and entrails and all that, you know, if you can look past that and kind of see the big picture that's being described, then I think we can see that. So we we talked about how the outline is that right at the center, chapters 16 and 17 kind of work as the hub. Uh, Of This book and and that's about the day of atonement and the centrality of the tabernacle and then kind of like concentric circles going out from there. You have uh, the purity laws uh, in 11 through 15 and then 18 through 20. We'll talk about that next week and then you have the priesthood laws uh, 8 through 10 and then 21 through 22 and then you have the ritual laws 1 through 7 and then 23 through 27. We talked a little bit about the sacrifices tonight. I want to focus on priesthood because here's why, another reason why Leviticus is relevant for us, is because it's about the priesthood, and that's your vocation. Do, do we realize that? Not only do we need a sacrifice, and we've talked at length about that, but but being a priest is your vocation. And if you don't know what that means, then it's going to be difficult for you to do your job, Right? Uh, and so, although the New Testament describes that, unless we have the background and the foundation of the Old Testament to kind of put that in context, we're going to struggle to to understand what does that mean that, as Peter puts it, we are a royal priesthood. I, I would even argue that, that there's probably some evidence that when God created, and if you were in my Being Human class uh, that we had on Wednesday nights, we kind of touched on this just a little bit, but if you... God says that he makes man as his image bearers. And that's not only a royal title, it's almost like a priestly title, uh, to bear the image of God. And that is our job, our vocation. That's what human beings were created and designed to do, was to be the image bearers of God. But because of sin, we haven't done a very good job of that. And then look at Exodus chapter 19. Let's start there, Exodus 19, uh, starting in verse 3. And I want you to see how all of Israel is called to be a a priesthood, in a sense. Uh, Exodus 19, verses 3 through 6. Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain. So this is after they've come out of Egypt. Uh, They're at at Mount Sinai. uh, Saying, thus you you shall say to the house of Jacob. This is God uh, talking. You shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. Again, if we don't keep some of these, these like key pivotal passages in mind as we read through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that Pentateuch or the Torah, the first five books, if we don't keep this in mind, that this is what God is doing. God is setting up a covenant people to be his treasured possession among all the people. If you, if you miss that and you just get in there and you're just like, I'm doing my daily Bible reading and well, all I can see is blood and guts and entrails and fat and I don't know what this guy's talking about. I mean, this is just crazy stuff. If you don't keep in mind this big picture, that this God of mercy, God of, of patience, God of grace has taken a slave people out of slavery and bondage, brought their slaveholders to their knees, the mightiest empire on the face of the earth at the time, brought them to their knees, shamed them, and brought his people out to be his treasured possession and to make a covenant with them and say, I'm your God and you're my people and we're going to dwell together. But then he goes on to say, for all the earth is mine. I'm not... I'm not a local God, right? I mean, that's how they tended to think about it was, well, you're you're the Jewish God or you're the God of Egypt or you're a God over here or you're a God over there. God, I am the God of the world. I'm the God of all people and all nations and the entire earth, but you. Out of all of these nations, I choose you. I want to make my covenant with you. I want you to be my treasured possession. And then he says, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So there is a sense. Now, as we get into Leviticus, we find that, that the priesthood is what tribe? Levi, right? Le- the, the Levites. And then even among them, the descendants of... Aaron, right? Moses' brother Aaron. And so his sons and descendants, they become the priestly tribe, or Levi, Levi becomes the priestly tribe, but then even within them is the, the descendants of Aaron, and they become the priests. But, but there's a sense in which the entire nation of Israel is supposed to be a, what does it say? A kingdom of priests. What is a priest? A priest is a, an intercessor, right? A priest is a mediator. A priest is a, a go-between. I was trying to think how, how to put this, and I, I wrote it in my notes that a priest is someone who is consecrated, made holy, right, because a priest has to come into the presence of God. In order to do that, you've got to be made holy, set apart, but, but made unique, right? I mean, made otherly, to take a human being and make him otherly make him holy, consecrate him so that he could be of use in the service of God. And so a priest comes into the presence of God, consecrated in order to bring to God on behalf of the people praises, and then bring to the people on behalf of God blessings, right? Isn't that what a priest does? He, he brings the praises to God, he brings the offerings and the sacrifices to God, and then from God, he brings back to the people the blessings of God, right? And that's why, obviously, Jesus is our high priest, right? He is our mediator. He is our go-between. He has reconciled us to the Father. He brings us the blessings of God. But but God tells the nation of Israel, as a whole group, here's your vocation in the world, Your vocation in the world is to bring to me the praises of mankind and really even to bring the nations to worship me, right? To be a light for the whole world, to attract and bring the nations to me to worship and then to take the blessings that I give out to the world, to be a kingdom of priests. Now, On that vocational scale, as we look at the history of Israel, would you say they did a very good job of that? Think about what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, a city on a hill can't be hidden, right? And you don't light a lamp and put what? A basket over it, right? You don't do that. A light is made to shine. And that's what Israel was supposed to be, was this city on a hill, was this light shining for the world to see. They were supposed to be bringing the nations to God and bringing God to the nations, bringing the blessing of God to the nations. As we read through the Torah, we can see how that was beginning to be the idea. And if they had kept the law, if they had been a people that had kept the law, can you imagine how outsiders would have said, man there's something different about these people and what's happening in this place. I want to know about their God. I mean, that's what initially happened right when they went into the promised land. You know, day one, they sent spies. You remember after the wandering in the wilderness and then they went to spy out Jericho. Kind of the first character that we kind of come across is a Gentile woman, a prostitute, right? And she says, I've heard about you people. I know about your God. I know what's about to happen, and I want to be attached to you. And does God say, nope, sorry, you're one of them, you can't be attached to... No, no, of course not. They're a priesthood, that's their job, right? And when they were doing it well, it was to bring people to God, to help them become a part of the consecrated people, and then take the blessings of God to the nations, to the world. In fact, Rahab, that prostitute, ends up becoming one of the ancestors of Jesus, right? Right? gets grafted into that family tree. That was what they were supposed to do, was to bring the praises of the nations and bring the nations to God and then bring the blessings of God to the people. And then, so if all of Israel was supposed to do that on a whole, as a whole, then there's this Levite tribe, and then even within the tribe of Levi, a, a smaller group, the descendants of Aaron, who are supposed to do that for the nation of Israel to bring to the nation of Israel the blessings of God and to take the praises and the offerings and the sacrifices to God. I was kind of thinking, what what would be kind of a metaphor? And maybe I hate, I hate using metaphors and analogies that are not from the text because, you know, it, this is just West. But here's kind of how I was thinking for whatever it's worth. Uh, I was kind of thinking of a waiter, you know, because that's kind of what a waiter does, isn't it? He he takes he takes the money he takes the offerings from the people that come into the restaurant and and he goes into the kitchen he, he's the one that can go in the kitchen you and I if we go to a restaurant we can't go in the kitchen right we haven't been purified to go into the kitchen but he has and he can not only go into the kitchen but he can come out of the kitchen and he can go in and take things in and he can come out and bring things out and that's what a priest is supposed to do a priest is supposed to go into God and bring the praises, and bring the offerings, and then bring the blessings back out, right? And that's what, that's what the tribe of Levi was doing for the nation of Israel, that's what the descendants of Aaron were doing for the nation of Israel, and that's what Israel was supposed to be doing for the nations, for the world. It was supposed to be being this beacon of hope, being this salt, and being this light, bringing the nations to God, and then bringing God to the nations. But unfortunately... God's people have had a tendency over the decades and centuries to hide our light under a bushel and not play our role as a priest and to take our consecration and our purity as if it was in and of itself something to just hold on to, right? To say, well, this was for me. God made me clean so that I can just hang out with God. And yeah, God loves you and He wants you to be a part of Him, but He also wants them. He wants them, Right? And, and, and Israel was supposed to be that, to bring the nations. In fact, when God first blessed and promised to Abraham, when, when God said to Abraham, here's what I'm going to do for you. Three things, right? The land and his descendants, that he was going to make his descendants like the sand on the seashore and like the stars in the sky. And then he said, I'm also going to make your seed a blessing to all mankind, right? There, there, that's, there's kind of, dual ways of looking at that, right? Ultimately, the seed being Jesus, right? Jesus is the ultimate high priest that brought the blessings of God to the world and brings the world to God. But there was also a sense in which the descendants of Abraham were supposed to be doing that. They were supposed to be blessing the nations. Jonah is a good example of how sometimes the nation of Israel didn't want to play their role as a priest, right? God says, Jonah, hey, hey, I... I." He didn't knock, I'm sure. But, you know, Jonah, uh, go go to Nineveh. And Jonah's like, Nineveh, are you you kidding me? The capital of Assyria, worst enemies in the world. I'd rather die than go talk to them. I don't want them to be forgiven. I don't want to take God's blessings to them. I don't want to act as a priest to them. I don't want you to forgive them. I don't want you to have mercy on them. I don't want you to wipe, wipe their sins away. I don't want the blessings that I'm getting to go to them. And so he went in the other direction, right? That's not not living out the vocation of the priesthood, of bringing the people to God and bringing God to the people. Okay, so the descendants of Aaron are the the priests among priests, so to speak, right? If the whole nation is a a kingdom of priests, then the, the people, the descendants of Aaron are priests among priests, uh, Le- Leviticus chapter 9, Here, here's kind of a uh, the end of this section where the the descendants of Aaron, the sons of Aaron, are consecrated, again, <laughs> to human beings and make them holy. That's amazing, isn't it? Take human beings and make them otherly. To, to make them in some way, to, to touch them with heaven almost, you know? To make them so that they are not only cleaned and purified, but so that they are otherly. And they stand apart so that they can be a go-between, so that they can come into the kitchen, so to speak, and then go out to the people, and then come into the kitchen, and go out to the people. And and they were made, they were given this role, and they were purified and consecrated. So you got all of this ritual around the consecration of these priests. And then we read uh, in Leviticus 9, starting in verse 22, Aaron lifted up his hands Toward the people and blessed them, and he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people. Blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Wonderful. Awesome, glorious, but at the same time, terrifying thing, isn't it? To say, this God, the God of heaven, the God that, you know, I love the way Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 40, I love the way God describes himself there. I mean, things like, you know, if you took all of the water in all of the world and you put them in the palm of my hand, I mean, it it would just be just a little bitty, tiny nothing in the palm of my hand. Or, or if you took all the nations in the world and you, you had a bucket of water and you poured out all the water out of the bucket and then there was just like one little drop left in the bucket and then you like poured the bucket like this and this little drop comes and hangs on the edge and uh, th- that's all the nations in the world. That little drop, that's all the nations compared to God. God is so big and awesome that even when the temple was there and the glory of God was in the temple, that it was like it was just the hymn of his robe that was in the temple, that that, that the world is like God's footstool. I mean, this God that is so big and so awesome and so otherly, so holy, so magnificent and so glorious says, I want to camp out in your tent. I want to camp out with your people. And then take this group of people that are the these go-betweens. They're going to go into God and then come out and bless the people. And then take the praises back into God and back and forth between God and the people. What an awesome thing. And then the glory of the Lord shows up and consumes the offering. And it's a terrifying and wonderful moment. But then that moment changes. And it goes horribly wrong in the next chapter. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1. Now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron... Each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered, what the text says, unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them. So you see how the contrast there, the last chapter, the, the fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the offering, and now the fire comes out from before the Lord and consumes them. And they died before the Lord. Why? Well, I mean, everything building up to this has told us why, hasn't it? That here is this awesome, otherly God. And he has told you exactly how to interact with him. And, and it's almost like, we, we don't know. I don't know Nadab and Abihu. This is Aaron's sons. I don't know exactly what they're thinking, but I think we'll get hints as we go on. It's almost like they say, I don't care. Just gonna do what we want to do, or we're gonna do things this way. And it's something other than what this otherly God said to do. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. I will be treated as otherly. You can't can't treat me like I'm just somebody else. You can't treat me just like I'm a, a person. I am an otherly God and I will be treated as such. This is what God had already told them. And Moses was reminding them and admonishing them and saying, this is where Nadab and Abihu went wrong. They did not treat me as holy. They did not sanctify me. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And it says, Aaron held his peace. He's the dad who just lost his two sons. But but I think given what just happened, I think he knows Moses is right. That Nadab and Abihu had a tremendous responsibility and they did not sanctify God. It it wasn't just a problem with the fire. It was a problem with the heart, wasn't it? They didn't sanctify the Lord. They didn't treat him as an otherly God. They didn't respect God, but they didn't respect their role, their vocation. As priests. And so, interesting thing starts to happen. Moses uh, gets a couple of cousins, so they're Levites, but they're not descendants of Aaron, so they're not priests, but they're, they're relatives, and gets Nadab and Abihu's body and moves them out of there. But then, starting in verse 6, Moses tells them, tells Aaron and his other two sons, uh, Eleazar and Ithmar, don't, don't mourn over their loss. I mean, we could take that for a lot of different ways, but Basically, you've got a job to do, and your job is to help the people to see the glory of the Lord and to intercede for the people, and don't, don't let your hair be a mess, don't, don't mourn, don't grieve. I know you lost your sons, but, but this is the life to which you've been called. And so he tells them to do what they need to do, to do their job and not to mourn, and I can't even imagine that situation being Aaron. Uh, but it says, in uh, verse 7, they did according to the word of Moses. But then interesting things start to happen. Look at verse 8. The Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. There, there's a lot of people that think that maybe that's part of what happened here with Nadab and Abihu. Maybe maybe they had been drinking. You know, But I think the overall context is, as we keep reading, it will be a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to distinguish between the holy the otherly, and the common. What's not otherly? What's common? And between the unclean and the clean, you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. Nadab and Abihu didn't distinguish between what was holy and what was not holy. They didn't do their job. And this is what happened. And Moses is saying, you're standing you're st- when you're standing on holy ground, you're standing in a glorious spot. The best spot in the whole world. But it's also a spot that should make you tremble. Because you're standing in the presence of a holy God. And when you come into his presence, don't come in there with, you know, kind of a drunken mind. Or literally drunken. And say, "Yeah, you know, whatever, it's no big deal. I'm just kind of, kind of. No, 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 stop. You, you can't. This job that you've been called to, this life that you've been called to, this vocation that you've been called to, this, this living and dwelling and working and serving and ministering in the presence of a holy God, you have to take it seriously. And Nadab and Abihu apparently didn't take it seriously and offered up unauthorized fire. Now, as we keep reading, again, he tells them, do your job, offer your sacrifices and, and do what needs to be done, but... Something's interesting that happens is that part of what they're supposed to do is to eat the meat of the sin offering, and they don't. And the reason they don't is Aaron's like, are are you kidding me? I mean, my boys just died. And now my other two sons and I are doing our job without grieving, without mourning, without going through the ritual of mourning, and we're doing our job, but you, you can't really expect us to be feasting at the same time. You you really can't expect us to be eating this sacrifice. And and I don't think God would expect us to do that. Even though that's exactly what God said to do. He said, under the situation, I don't think that's appropriate. Look at verse 19. Uh, And Moses is irate, by the way. He's saying, I can't believe you're not eating this. This is what you were told to do. Uh, Aaron says to Moses, behold, today they've offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord. And yet such things as these have happened to me. If I'd eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? Really? You think that's what the Lord wanted me to do? And when Moses heard that, he approved. So it's kind of interesting, isn't it? I mean, in both situations, you have somebody that's not following exactly the instructions that were given, but the intention and the heart are totally different, right? Right? The reason why Aaron and Ithmar and uh, Eleazar didn't eat the sacrifice was because they honestly wanted to do the will of God. They wanted to do, under the situation, under the circumstances, what God would approve of. And apparently Nadab and Abihu didn't. And those are two totally different situations, aren't there? I mean, that's what overall the entire story is teaching us, isn't it? that if you want to live in the presence of a holy God and you make it your desire to please him, then I know you're not perfect, and I know you make mistakes, and I know you're weak, and I know you're human beings, and for that, I've made allowances. God is reasonable, which is amazing, that this holy, awesome, magnificent God is also reasonable. And he knows who we are. What he demands from us is a contrite heart. What he demands from us is faith and love and trust. And we have those things, we walk in his ways. We do our very best to do his will. He is gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love. And that's what we see in, in this story. But I want to end on what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. You are a royal priesthood. I want us to kind of look at that from both perspectives real quick before we close. I mean, both the perspective of, isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? That, that just like Israel was called to be this, uh, what, what is it that God said in, in Exodus? He says, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And then Peter says in 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, you, talking to Christians, probably many of whom were Gentiles that weren't Jews before this, but now because of Jesus, they've been grafted into this family story, into this family tree, and he says, you are a chosen race. Just like God... Chose Israel. You are now part of that Israel story. Now you are a part of that Israel people. You are God's chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Isn't that what we do? We bring the nations, just like we were brought. We bring the nations to God. We bring the people to God. We bring the worship and the praises and the offerings. And by the way, what is the offering that we offer up to our God? Romans chapter 12, right? It's our bodies. Our bodies as a, not as a dead sacrifice, as a living sacrifice. Where we say to God, God, I offer up me to you. I offer up my whole self to you. My hands, my feet, my mind, my mouth, my money, my time, my energy, all of it is yours. And, and Paul says, this is your acceptable service of worship. In fact, the word that he uses there is much like the service that the priest did in the tabernacle and the temple. You are a royal priesthood. And you're offering up yourselves to God. You're bringing the nations to God. You're going out and making disciples of all the nations bringing them, as priests, bringing them to our God, bringing our praises, bringing our worship, bringing ourselves, bringing our offerings to God, and then also bringing the blessings of God to the people, right? I mean, do we understand that? That when you go to work on Monday morning, yeah, I know you do the job that you do and the job that you're paid for, (laughs) but you kind of have a secret job too, don't you? You have a secret vocation, and maybe they don't really know exactly what it is that makes you so peculiar, but part of your vocation is to bring the blessings of God to the people. And isn't that what we read all throughout the New Testament, or all throughout the Bible, that God has prepared, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, God has prepared good works for us to walk in, that when we... When we love people, when we love our neighbor as ourself, when we love, and I know this is crazy radical stuff, but Romans chapter 12, when your enemy's hungry, feed him. When he's thirsty, give him something to drink. That's your job, to go out and bless the people. And when you're cursed, instead of returning a curse for curse, you return a blessing for a curse. Why? Because you are a royal priesthood. And that is a tremendous calling to which all of us who are in Christ Jesus have been called. There are no special mediators. There's no, no group of people within the church that go between you and God. You all, we all are a royal priesthood. And we bring the praises to God and we bring the blessings to the people so that we can draw them closer and closer to God. But lest we forget the example of Nadab and Abihu and forget to distinguish between what is holy and what is common, And forget who this God is. The blood of Jesus makes us so that we are a consecrated, purified, forgiven, holy, royal people. But it hasn't changed God. It hasn't tamed God. God is still the same God. The same awesome, powerful, wonderful, glorious, otherly, holy God that he's always been. And you and I get to dwell in his presence. You and I get to bring the blessings to him, the praises to him, and the blessings from him. But let's not forget who this God is. Let us be people that are sober-minded. Isn't that what the New Testament calls us to? A sober-mindedness. The priests, when they were called to minister in the presence of God, they, they had to keep themselves sober. Both literally Sober, not drinking, and also sober as in sober-minded. We are called to a similar vocation. We've got to be a people that think clearly and who live our lives so that we can do our job, so that we can be the light of the world and the salt of the earth and bring the nations to our God and bring the blessings to the people and not forget who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be doing, not put a basket over our light. Because if the salt loses its saltiness, when the otherly people lose their otherliness, what good are they except to be thrown out and to trampled under people's feet? We've got to be an otherly people. If we live like everybody else lives and do what everybody else does, then we're not living as priests we've been given the chance to really be the image bearers of God, to not just be that, but to live that out, to live out that royal priestly vocation in Christ Jesus our Lord.